Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for picking this podcast. There's like been over 2 million podcasts started. Most of them have died, but you have lots of choices when you go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, heck, wherever you get your podcast love, there's a lot of shows that you can choose from, and I'm really excited that you have picked Making Waves at Sea Level. Now, before we get started today, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode, and this episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International, one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership teams. And full disclosure, I work for Stanton Chase International, so if your company is looking to build that senior leadership team, you've got a role to fill. Make sure you give me a call. All right, so today we're going to talk about my favorite subject, And that is, how do you connect? So if you know me and you've been listening to the show, you know that for the last 15 years, I've made my living as a professional speaker and master of ceremonies talking about how do you connect with people in a gadget crazy world? How do you actually get to that whole factor of remembering that people do business, that people do business with people they know, they like, and they trust? Well, that's what I talk about, but I'm not a researcher. I'm not a PhD. I don't teach at some fancy school like Stanford, but you know what? Our guest today does all of that. Our guest today is David Bradford, and what he does is he is really concerned with people having meaningful relationships. So sure, he teaches at Stanford, but he is not your typical academic, and he is the author of the book, Connect, Building Exceptional Relationships with family, friends, and colleagues. So this is going to be a fun conversation because everything David does is stuff that I believe in, and he has researched it, and he's proved it. So David, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Glad to be here. Looking forward to this. So David, one of the things I tell everybody is that a like, a link, a share, and a follow, all of this social media technology that everybody thinks, oh, I'm so connected. I have so many Facebook friends. It's not really what connecting is about, that it's a tool, but it's not really the same thing. A like, a link, a share, and a follow is not a business relationship. So how has technology turned this whole concept of connecting upside down? Well, unfortunately, it's led to people having the wrong impression, which I think is what you're getting to. And the whole notion is, gee, I'm, I'm really great because I have 500 people on my uh, LinkedIn or I have uh, this many people following me on Facebook. But who are they following? Are they following you or are they following an image that you've portrayed? And to what extent are we going to trust an image? And we've got to have trust in organizations, but we also got to have honesty. And often in the presentation we do, we're not very honest. <laughs> you mean people go onto these technology websites and, and put up a, a persona of themselves that isn't fully honest? What? <laughs> Come on, come on. You know that. (laughs) Of course. You don't do it and I don't do it, but the rest of the world does it. (laughs) So David, as a researcher, let's go back to your fundamental research, right? Let's go back to the basics of what it really takes to have that human connection. So, So what's the basis of your research for this book? Well, the basis is a 
uh, partially the social science research that I read, but it's also a very unusual course taught at Stanford. Uh, it's called Interpersonal Dynamics. That's the title, but the students call it touchy-feely. <laughs> and in 12-person groups over the 10-week term, they learn how to build strong, open, trusting relationships with people they never thought they could. And the result is people say, this experience has been life-changing. It's been transformational. And from that, we started to extract what we see are the core concepts in building a strong relationship. So, so what are those concepts? Well, the first one is, am I really willing to let you know me? Now, I don't share everything, of course, but am I sharing everything that's relevant to what's going on? So, Tom, you started by saying you're interested in this material and you've done this for 15 years, uh, but I'm sure there's much more about what it means to you and how you've applied it personally. And uh, in, I'm trusting that in uh, conversations you have with friends, you start to share that, that more personal part. So that's one dimension. The second dimension is, do I build conditions where the other person can be more themselves? Or am I forcing them into presenting an image? Third dimension is, uh, when we do that, do we trust that we this information won't be used against us? Um, and that starts to build even deeper trust and more disclosure. Fourth, can we be honest with each other? Do you know that what I say is what I mean and what I mean is what I say? Or do you have to read between the lines? Do you have to guess at it? And, and that's a waste of time, particularly in organizations. Fifth, um, can we disagree? Can we even get into conflict? And not only resolve it, but resolve it in a way that builds a stronger relationship. Because I think when you have a relationship, reasonable people di differ. And it doesn't have to damage the relationship. And finally, are we each committed to each other's growth and development? And that's where it really becomes so important for everybody to become more human, more themselves, and more effective. So I love this framework, and I, I want to unpack a couple of these. I mean, you've got six points there, but I want to unpack a couple of them. And one, I want to go to that third one. And is it that do we trust that the information isn't going to be used against us? When you said that, I was like, wow, I, I've never thought about that being part of a relationship. But the truth is, is out there in the world, people find things out and they do jockey for position and, and use things against us. So what do, how often are people worried about opening up that vulnerability because they think that a coworker or a competitor or someone's going to jab them? Let's go a little bit deeper into to the, the practices of this. I, I, think it, I think that's true. It's not just jabbing. It's not just organizations. But will you think less of me? Will you judge me? Will I lose um, my ability to um, build trust with you if you knew this about me? And one of the exciting things about the course and what we suggest in the book is can you judiciously start to share a little outside your comfort zone to let yourself be a little bit more known? And what we find, you know, you don't share everything first time, but can we be more personal and test it out? And, um, you know, I think we worry about that with friends, worry about that with spouse. Gee, she knew that. Uh, would she want to go on the next date with me sort of notion? Not a spouse. Um, so I think it's a general concern. But if we stay with the concern, the relationship doesn't grow. 
Relationship building is a risk. But if you do it judiciously, we think it's you can do it, and it's well, well worth it. So I love that point that relationship building is risk because one of the things I do when I speak at a conference is I actually spin it around on the audience and I say, hey, I have an idea. Let's take what I'm talking about here around this human connection piece and let's use this conference. Let's use this conference as a human laboratory. What can Uh you do over the next three days while we're together on site at this beautiful resort in Honolulu or San Francisco or wherever the, the conference is? What can we what can you do? to put this into practice. But one of the things I find when I talk to people is when it works, the conference is better. Everybody feels more engaged. They meet more people. They run out of business cards. But one of the things people tell me, especially if they're a little more introverted, if they haven't really participated in conferences in this way, is they say, you gave me permission to do what I should have been doing at conferences all along. And that was take a risk and talk to people that it's okay. I don't have to have a love connection with everybody. So this whole idea that building a relationship, there is a little bit of risk in it, even if it's just talking to someone at the bar at a conference, right? Right. Absolutely. And, and so the question often comes up, well, what should I share? And uh, often we uh, share things about ourselves. Well, that's a good basis. But what we find is sharing how we feel is often the most revealing thing. So if I'm at a conference and I'm with people who are pretty impressive, I'm probably going to feel a little uh, one down or am I really as good as that? Well, I'm I'm not going to put that in my bag, but we're at a bar. We're having a couple of beers together and and it goes on and you say, gee, there's a lot of good people here. Well, you're going to know more about me if I say, yeah, you know, I find it a little intimidating. I feel a little intimidating. Well, that's, that's telling you about David. And it's likely if I do that, you're going to say, well, you know, I just talked with somebody and, uh, boy, uh, she blew me away in terms of uh, how good she was. So I do it too. And what we find is if I take that little risk of sharing some feelings, you're likely to too. And, Introverts can do that. I'm actually introverted. Uh, we can share our feelings as much as anybody else. <laughs> so why do you think, or, or in your case, it's probably more than thinking. What does your research show? Why are people scared of being vulnerable and telling something as simple as, hmm, I'm a little intimidated? Why Why is that so scary for people? Well, well, you talk about jabbing, and I think this is particularly true with men, that we often look for times in which we can, quote, kid the other person, but we put it down. So I say, well, you know, I can feel a little intimidated. And you, with a laugh, say, yeah, I can see why somebody with your limited ability does feel intimidated. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. And um, I want that. So I've got to be a good guy, and I've got to laugh along with it. Uh, I don't pick up my beer and go to some uh, another place. Um, So we all experience times in which people use that to up themselves, to down you, uh, so we're careful. And the trouble is, if we're careful, nothing happens. So another one of your of your six pieces that, that you mentioned was, it's okay, we can disagree. And we live in a society right now where it's like, nobody seems to remember that it's okay to sit at the same table with somebody with a different point of view and to be able to totally talk about whether it's politics or religion or life or whatever, 
disagree and still be friends. So we've gotten to this stage, I think, where people are really guarded. If they're some, instead of disagreeing, they just shut down and move to another table. So in the, in the course of your framework, how do you get people to realize it's okay to disagree when society's basically saying, nah, don't disagree, you know, erase them. I know that's true. And, and the trouble is then we only talk with people who are like us and that doesn't make it as interesting a world. I think the problem is you're talking about politics or we talk about uh, social issues and things like that, that we immediately rush to judgment. Oh, you voted for him. Oh, you don't believe in X. Therefore, and then we jump and we say, uh, you must be in our own mind, you know, to course say this, uh, not very smart, you're an evil person. We rush to judgment and we uh, move away from that person. What we say is, can I move into curiosity? Can I start to wonder? Can I let go that I have the answer to everything? Now, one of the troubles is we immediately try to convince the other person how wrong they are. Convincing locks people into an argument. We don't learn much in an argument. So we say, can you give up the goal of convincing and try to understand? So if we have different political views, can I say, gee, Tom seems like a nice guy. I wonder why he holds those views. And really be, get into inquiry. Not, not to pin you against the wall and to prove you wrong, but to understand you. And if we understand, we may find we have a little more in common than we thought. So let me give an example of that. There's basic disagreements around climate change. It turns out that where the disagreement is, is about the cause and about the solution. But it turns out there's high agreement that we are in a world of climate change. Well, we immediately jump to where we disagree. Could we search for where we might agree? And then we could do some joint exploring. Well, if we agree this is going on, what could we do? And then the whole conversation changes. So do you think people are more divided now and less likely to be in a situation where they want to have a conversation if they disagree than they were, say, 20 years ago? Absolutely. And I think the reason is we have linked disagreement with demonizing the other person. Mm -hmm. That we attack the other person as an individual. That they are evil, they are wrong, they are destructive to democracy. Um, And as soon as we do that, we stop seeing them as human beings. So my parents, one was a Democrat and one was a Republican, and uh, I can remember elections in like the early 1970s, like my earliest memories would like my first presidential election I would remember would be maybe like uh, uh, probably, you know, Carter versus Ford. And uh-huh. my parents had different views on who should be president. And yet there was never an argument. It was never bad. They talked about it a lot. My, you know, both my parents were engaged in in the beliefs that they had, but you know, nowadays you talk to people and people won't even go on a date if somebody is voting for a different candidate. <laughs> right. Well, it has broken up marriages, even sadder. Mm-hmm. So last point that I wanted to pull out of those six, I only had time to touch on a couple is you talked about, are we, you know, committed to each other's growth? So one of the things I talk about in my stuff is how do we create uncommon 
connections. So as you mentioned, people are always talking about, I have so many connections on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, so many followers on TikTok. But the reality is, is that people have thousands of people they're connected to on social media and very few do they ever have any real give and take any, you know, any type of connection, contact, conversation. And so when you have that, when you have a relationship where you're committed to each other's growth, where you look out for each other, where you give recommendations, referrals uh, to each other, those types of connections that we all strive for, like everybody wants to have that type of business relationship. Those are rare. So I call them uncommon connections. Why are they so uncommon? I think they're uncommon because you have talked about things we do for each other in, you said, recommendations and things like that. I think that if I'm committed to your growth, I'm also going to raise issues when I see you acting in ways that's not in your best interest. And that's what blocks us. And I think when I have a uncommon relationship and, you know, there's not a lot, well, it's quite a few people are going to say, Hey, David, I was really bothered when you did that. Or David, I don't think that was as good as you could do. And I think that's a sign of caring. So, uh, in the course, we, uh, hijack the hallmark card phrase. We say, I care enough to say the very worst. When it's done out of caring, and I say, hey, Tom, uh, you're hurting yourself, and, I, and I'm going to take the risk because you may get mad at me. Uh, you may tell me you may uh, come back and attack me and so on. It's a risk. But I care enough about you that I'm going to say the very, the very worst because it's in your best interest and it's in our best interest. And that's, what I think, what keeps us from having these uh, exceptional relationships. So what can we do about that? How can we get to the point where we have relationships where we're willing to promote each other and we're willing to call each other out? How do we get there? Well, I think partially in the book talks a lot about this. And I think it's one of uh, the better parts of the book. Most of us give feedback in the wrong way. Uh, we don't know how to do it. And we do it in a way that feels attacking. And what we say is uh, one of the phrases in the book is we say, you can say almost anything to almost anybody if you stick with your reality. And then we add, with two glasses of wine, we would drop the almost. But we're academics and we cover ourselves. And I really believe that almost, well, I put that back in, that you can say anything if I stick with my reality. Now, now what do I mean by that? It turns out, Tom, we're now in a conversation with each other. But between us, there are three realities. There's my intentions, my motives. That's my reality. There's my behavior, my words, my tone, my nonverbal. That reality, both of us do see. But there's a third reality about me I don't know, which is the impact of my behavior on you. So we say it takes two to know one. I need you to know me. So I intend now to be clear. I'm perfectly clear to me. I don't know if I'm clear to you. I'm, I'm trying to be helpful. I don't know if I'm helpful. And if you stick with your reality, it's indisputable and it doesn't feel attacking. But, and if you say, well, David, you tend to go on a little too long and I start to lose interest. Well, I need to know that because I don't want to have that impact. 
And instead, most feedback, so we have the image. Think of a tennis net between the first and the second reality. You can't play in the other person's backcourt in tennis. But we're over the net in feedback. So I say, Tom, you just want to show how smart you are. Well, I don't know what you want. Or we say, you just want to dominate. How the hell do I know what you want? And that's why feedback feels attacking. But if I stick with my reality, then it's a gift. And at Stanford, we say feedback is a gift. Because I need to know the impact of my behavior. And only you know that. God, I love this. I love this. This is this, this, I could keep you here for hours, but uh, we only have a, usually about a half hour for the show. So I've got some more questions for you. I'm not going to let you go yet. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in the world of business like Dr. David Bradford. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, David, I, I love this topic. I mean, I've, I've been deeply involved in, in a topic like this for a long, long time. So let's take it to the basics here. What are the signature traits of a really successful business relationship? I think, can I trust you? Can you trust me? Can we be honest with each other? And can we disagree? I, I, that's what I would want. This person may not be my best friend. I may not want to go out for a drink with them afterwards, but I know when that person comes in, he or she is going to tell me the truth and I don't have to guess at it. And if I do something that's annoying or bothering or screw up, that person without reaming me out is going to tell me because um, they're concerned about me. That's what I want. Strong, robust, open, honest communication uh, relationships. So a lot of people don't really know how to define trust. It's one of the things that I teach when I speak is, is so the trust. I base it on the research of a gentleman named David Horsehager, who has his graduate level work is now his business called the Trust Edge Institute. And he breaks it down to eight different pillars. But when you define trust, what are you talking about? And how can we pinpoint that? Because one of the things is people throw trust out there, but a lot of people don't really know what it means. So what are you saying when you say trust? Well, I'm not sure I'm as uh, detailed as having eight pillars, but I think what's uh, crucial for trust is um, do I know that what you say is what you mean? Do I know that you have my interests at heart as well as your own? And do I know that how you're going to behave is congruent with how you've behaved in the past. So I'm not uh, blindsided or upended. And I think that if I have that, I'm going to increase my trust. Now, here's the interesting thing. 
we inadvertently do things that violate those. I think trust gets built when those are raised and resolved. They get undermined if I go silent. So if you do something that hurts me, if I don't say anything, our trust is damaged. Mm-hmm. If I say, Tom, I, I was hurt by that comment, you're likely to say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. And then trust is not only restored, but I think strengthened. So we've got to raise the issues that threaten trust in order to build trust. I like that. All right. So, David, the last 16 months have been a little bit crazy. We had this little global <laughs> pandemic thing that happened. Uh, people were sent home. So this whole idea of, of our social side of connecting both in our personal lives and work, all of a sudden we weren't allowed to see anybody. So how has the pandemic affected the way we interact? Let's let's look at the business side, you know, with our coworkers and clients and, and, and others in building relationships. It has damaged it. It has made it very, very difficult. <clears throat> There's no question about it. I have a colleague who said, well, gee, the great thing about Zoom is we cut to the chase. And I said to myself, and then later said to her, but I wonder what you cut out. And I think what we cut out is the human, is knowing the other person at a more humane level. That when we're face-to-face, we pick up and we're at the water cooler, would we have a cup of coffee together? So here's an interesting way that I've seen executives in Silicon Valley handle that. So they're on a Zoom executive meeting, and the leader says, for the first 10 minutes, everybody has 90 seconds to answer the question multiple times. If you really knew me. So, for example, if you really knew me, I'd tell you I'm really excited about This book, it's the capstone of my career. If you really knew me, you'd know that I'm also excited that my daughter is going to come and visit in a couple weeks, and I haven't seen her in a long time. If you really knew me, you'd know that I'm having some trouble with, uh, with my eyesight, and I'm a little bit worried about that. Now, that took 45 seconds. Those were all true, by the way. Mm -hmm. And you know me a little better. And what they find is the first 10 minutes of the meeting, everybody goes around, including the leader, answering the question, if you really knew me today. And that is starting to put back in that personal connection that we need. We're not robots. We're human beings. And I need to know the human side of you if we're going to work together. So there's been a lot of talk in the news, a lot of it coming out of your neck of the woods of Silicon Valley that, oh, People will never have to return to the office. We're just going to have a distributed team. People can live anywhere. They never have to come into the office. And my answer to that is they can say that all they want till they find that their competitor, who everybody comes to the office, has a better culture and everybody wants to work there. Then you're going to see all those companies bringing everybody back to the office. What do you think is going to happen with remote work? I think we're going to be hybrid. And I think that's one of the exciting effects. Uh, my son works for as an engineer, senior engineer at Microsoft, and he says um, working at home has some advantages and has a lot of disadvantages. So I think we're going to work out that uh, we may do two days at, at home mm-hmm. and three days at the office. And I think that's a win-win. I think we've found we can get some work done more effectively. It allows us to have more time with our family. 
or with aging parents who we have to take care of. It also allows us to go to the office and have those connections. And I would expect that when we're at the office, we're going to see a lot of dropping by each other's office, having coffee together, and catching up to how they are so when we're remote, we can still have personal interactions. So I think we're moving into exciting times if organizations are willing to be flexible enough. And I don't think it's either or. I think it's an and. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I've actually been saying that for the past 16 months. And I was saying it at a point where people were like, no, that's the end of commercial real estate. Everybody's moving out. And I'm like, "Eh." I think that you have to have you have to have a little bit of that that physical thing. And I think you're right. That hybrid of, oh, you know, Tuesdays, everybody can work from home or one day a week. You can do it. But everybody has to be in the office on Wednesday so that we have the whole team every Wednesday so that we can do those types of things. I think that that is going to be what the answer is. Now, I've spent the last 10 or almost 15 years working in the meetings industry as a speaker. And, you know, it's great. I, I, I've had a great run and that all stopped 16 months ago. And there was some online meetings and there still are, but, you know, I, I found that what we've learned when it comes to uh, meetings is that we got really good over the last year and a half at being able to transmit data over virtual platforms so we can have the speakers come in and share their brilliance over data however the experience of being at that resort that experience of just meeting someone those serendipitous hallway conversations and people say well but we send everybody to zoom breakout rooms and i'm like yeah a zoom breakout room is not the same as the bar at 6 30 at night and you can't necessarily replace that serendipity of being a person and just chit-chatting with somebody on the elevator, you can't replace that with a planned Zoom breakout. And so when we look at the world of meetings, people said a year ago, well, that's the end of meetings. Everybody's just going to have all their meetings on Zoom. I, I couldn't imagine anything I would like less than having to continue to do more, <laughs> more meetings on Zoom. What are your thoughts about conferences and meetings and things like that? Well, it's uh, you're absolutely right that we, that we need that. It's not just that we get serendipitous uh, information. But let's assume, let's assume that uh, we're part of the same team, Tom, and uh, I've done something in a meeting inadvertently that's really ticked you off. Well, it's unlikely in the Zoom meeting that you're going to say that. Uh, if I'm lucky, you're going to give me a call and say, hey, David, we have to talk. But that could also be difficult in Zoom uh, because are you going to say something or am I going to miss a cue and take it the wrong way? So it's, it's, it's a lot of, we, do, we need to do a lot of repair. Um, I've been married 56 years, and there are times I have to do some repair that I've inadvertently <laughs> been inconsiderate and so on. And I think that one of the advantages of the face-to-face, and I hope that when we're all together on Wednesdays, we just don't go to our office and work hard there, but we also see that as a time to reconnect, to check out something, Did you really mean that when you said that? Because we need to have that trust uh, reestablished, rebuilt. We need to have misunderstandings be removed. And that's where we really need the face-to-face. When we have that, then we can do some of it by Zoom. But we can't build that very much by Zoom. And that's the problem. 
Well, David Bradford, I, I, I wish you were my dad. This is the exact type of conversation I love to have. I think everything that, that you're saying, everything that's in your book is exactly in line with, with what I believe and what I try to teach when I speak at a conference. So uh, I'm going to read the book. Uh, I'm probably going to quote you online here and there because uh, I think uh, your research is, is right in line with what I believe. And I am so grateful that uh, you spent the time with us here on Making Waves at Sea Level. So my last question for you is for people who are running companies – why should they care that their employees connect with each other, with vendors, with clients, with prospects? Why should, why should the C-suite give a dang if people are paying attention to what you talk about in the book, Connect? Well, as you have said, people do business with people. And it's built on trust. It's built on honesty. And if you're a CEO where you don't have a good relationship with your people, where you're a robot, and you're an object to them, they're not going to be inspired. They're not going to put out that extra effort. You can command obedience, but you can't command commitment. And it's not just you and your direct reports. It's them and their peers. It's them and the client. I think trust is crucial with the client. We often make the decision of who we work with, who we buy from, by who we can trust. And I think if, if you tell me there's a CEO who says, I don't care about that, I'm going to want to short his stock because <laughs> I don't think he has a future. That is awesome. So, David, if people want to find out more about you, uh, about the book, how do they do that? Go to our website. It's www.connectandrelate, as one word, no periods there, connectandrelate.com. Uh, the book is Connect, Building Exceptional Relationships with Family, Friends, and Colleagues. Uh, by Bradford and Robin. And uh, I'm glad to say it's in the second printing after four months and doing well. And 14 foreign publishers have bought the rights to translate it. So we think this is internationally relevant. Uh, I think I, th I think it's awesome. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. Thank you so much for being here on Making Waves at Sea Level. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every episode. If it wasn't for the audience, why would I do this show? I hope that you pick up little tidbits and learn things along the way. I know that I do from every single guest. So we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool who's making waves, but somebody just as cool as David Bradford. And I know you're thinking, how will you ever find anybody who's as cool as the touchy feely professor from Stanford? But I'll tell you what, we find somebody cool every single week. So join us back here for more episodes. In the meantime, go out there. And realize that people are going to do business with people they know, like, and trust. Make sure that your career ladder is against the correct wall because you don't want to climb up that ladder and find out that you're in the wrong place. And while you're out there doing all of this, have some fun. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.